I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect, as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context, not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Hi everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. We've got the beautiful Emily from Symbiosis here. And she, I couldn't not have Emily in. She's a beautiful local mama uh, who works with bees. And being Pollination Mamas, it just seemed like the perfect match. So today we're going to talk about, it's a little bit different to the um, overall Pollination Mamas uh, philosophy and topics, but it does actually tie in, as you'll see, as we start <laughs> chatting. Um, so we're going to talk about bees, uh, what it is to be a woman beekeeper, a mama beekeeper, uh, beehive consciousness, the beehive as a whole in a womb, and lots of other wonderful things that will unfold as we go. So, Emily, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about your story, how you got into bees, um, your symbiosis vision, and why you're doing the work that you do. Yeah. Well, I've been a little bit of a drifter, um, and I've sort of been, you know, travelling around, coming back to Australia, working, you know, just wanting to get out and explore and see and do things, and um, I had a real sort of interest in the natural world around me, um, interest in permaculture and, um, and th these kinds of things. And um, one year I came back to Australia and I moved to Margaret River, which is a little town in Western Australia. I was renting this caravan, um, riding my bike, you know, didn't have a car, riding my bike to work, working in this little bakery. And um, I was quite isolated. I just sort of moved there and I went to the library and it felt like, you know, had a social life all of a sudden. <laughs> so I had this library card and I just remember like the books that I got out at this at this time. It's sort of like my life at the moment. <laughs> the like the titles of the books. So um, I don't know what what I manifested there. <laughs> but um one of the books was um, a lecture series by Rudolf Steiner called Bees. And he wrote this over a hundred years ago. And it pretty much predicted the honey crisis that's happening at the moment. Um, probably um, a lot of you have heard that around the world um, bees are dying. Um, it's not as extreme in Australia as it is in other places with the varroa mite. Um, but, you know, um, particularly commercial beekeepers are losing um, their bees, um, you know, drastic levels. Um, and so, hundred years ago when Rudolf Steiner wrote this, he said that if we keep domesticating bees to the will of men, um, nature won't be able to take it and there'll be a 
collapse. <laughs> so as I was reading this, I was just it just resonated with me, um, you know, body, heart, soul, everything. And because um, he talked about bees in a really sort of spiritual way uh, as well, that it's you know they're not just cre creatures, but they're a collective consciousness and. Um, yeah, and so from reading this book, sort of, I feel like everywhere I went, like, the bees were following me, <laughs> you know? Like, people would just, like, say the word bee, and I'd be like, huh? <laughs> and I'd get into these conversations, and then I became a little bit obsessed. I just started, you know, researching on the internet and all of this, and I had this vision in my mind that I would just be traveling um, and pollinating, really, just spreading knowledge and seeds all around the place, and I guess that's sort of... Um, a few years on now, it's kind of um, my reality. What's what's um, it's what I see for um, symbiosis, and it's what I see um, as my path. Um, the the beekeeping industry is heavily dominated by males, um, and this I find um, a bit ludicrous because the way that we keep bees have, hasn't really changed in the last hundred um, or so years. It um, yeah, and the, the whole, the hive, it's it's feminine. Um, you know, 95% of the hive are females. <laughs> um, there's only 5% of the males are called drone oh, wow. bees. Okay. And um, their, their role is to mate with the queen. Um, most of them don't. They do have other tasks, like they go into the nursery and they actually sing to the bees. Oh, and, wow. um, <laughs> and they sort of go out and check the weather conditions and they talk to the other colonies and they, they do have a... A role, but come winter, the ladies will kick them out. Oh wow! And Interesting. So, um, I had no idea that there was such a large percentage yeah. of female bees. Yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting, and also um, a lot a lot of people think that the the um, the queen is the only sort of sexual mm. one within the hive because she's the only one that lays eggs. She's sort of the mother and sister to all of the the she's whole queen colony. bee. She's queen bee. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she'll go off and she'll mate with about a dozen drones up in the sky. And, um, and um, when you order a, a queen on the internet, which is most, what most commercial beekeepers do, she's, they've only had um, the sperm from one drone. Okay. And so um, the idea there is that we're, we're afraid of bees um, and we've domesticated over them over time to become more docile, more gentile. But I... Um, more gentle, <laughs> but I I also feel that we've um, we've bred them um, to not be able to fight off disease mm. as as a body as an mm. organism as an animal um, we've we've changed them and we've also taken the sacred out of them <laughs> um, because they you know throughout history they were seen as as gods as goddesses as mm. um, all the, all the products are medicine. <laughs> it's quite amazing. It's almost yeah. like there's a lot of um, talk at the moment about rewilding, so mm. how um, humans hold a lot of trauma and it's because of our human aspect um, and if we can tap in more to our animal aspect while still embracing our human aspects, we can heal trauma better. So it's about rewilding mm. and becoming um, a little bit less domestic mm. in the areas that domestication is not working for us. And it sounds like yeah. you're talking about a similar idea. Yeah. It's about having a concept of rewilding our bees mm. but still working in harmony with them and symbiosis yeah. with them yeah. well, that's, but working that's out what, what their natural um, wild nature is yeah. and 
fostering that yeah. in a way. So you're a beekeeper yourself. I am. You yes. have a number of hives. Um, well, because I've continued to travel and I don't own land, I've for the past um, three years I've been volunteering for Save the Bees Australia. And I've been interested in bees for a number more years, so I've sort of, you know, read and researched and had all, all of this sort of knowledge in my mind, but I, it was really difficult for me to practically sort of dive into it. And when I went um, to save the bees, I just sort of got thrown into, thrown into it and, you know, was um, helping to save swarms and, um, you know, collect honey and also um, do removals, which is when... Um, when bees swarm naturally, it's like a natural birth. And they'll go and they'll move into whatever looks good to, for them. You know, they like good insulation. They'll sometimes go in the ground, sometimes in the wall of a house, sometimes in a compost bin. And um, a lot of the time people are afraid of these bees. They'll go and they'll spray them. Mm. But when you spray them with these poisons, um, you not only kill that colony, but then other bees from other hives will smell the honey, they'll come and rub it, and they'll oh, no. take that poisoned honey right, into their hive. And, you know, who knows how many um, colonies you're actually harming this Impacting. way. So, um, so there's another alternative. People can call someone yeah, to remove. Yeah, so you can call usually uh -huh. your um, council will know. Um, or there's even, there's even a website. I forget what it's called, but there's like... We'll find a, the link, yeah. Yeah, we can find the link there. Um, we can find your, you know, local person. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you can find people that will even just do it for free, but um, usually there's about a $200 okay. cost, which yeah. usually to get them just... Um, exterminated through spraying, it's usually two hundred and fifty dollars anyway. Okay, so it's the same so, um, and a much better outcome. Yeah, yes, definitely. But it's sort of like an operation. Like you have to go in there and cut out the eggs and transfer them, put them back together, and it's a whole sort of process. And it's really beautiful to watch. It can be quite intense um, thing to do as well. I sort of go into this alternate sort of state of consciousness where you know time sort of stands still. I've heard that. So that sounds like a really embodied experience that you've mm. had working with the hives. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that has been for you, whether how that has felt physically and what yeah. you've learnt in a really embodied yeah. way, either removing them or mm. working with hives, harvesting honey? Yeah. I feel like you can you get this sort of from any creature in nature, even when you just simply sit and you can watch a bee on a flower. Um, you know, you sort of go into this... Um, nearly meditative state where you know you can just watch it in its own little world doing its thing and you know you forget thoughts for a moment um you can have this experience depend you know depending on your own um definition of meditation or consciousness you know as humans where we're able to harness this but i feel like um there's definitely a relationship between bees and humans and there have been since um sort of egyptian days um so, but when I'm collecting honey or opening up a hive, I always um, make sure I'm in a calm state of mind because that you know they're like dogs; they can smell they can smell fear. They they energetically, I feel like they're they're so aware of what's around them. And if you move really slow, they sort of barely even notice you're there. And I always ask consent. I always ask permission, um, just in my mind with my hands on top of the lid. Um, before I'd open them up. Um, I also use alternative um, types of herbs when I'm smoking because I feel like if, um, you know, a lot of people, they just pick up pine needles and other things. Um, but I think, you know, bees that like to forage on these beautiful scented plants, I think 
Well, that's sort of nice to put in your smoker, and even if it's not helping the bees, it's sort of like aromatherapy for me. <laughs> it helps to calm me. Yeah. yeah, I put you know lavender and sage and sort of whatever I have um, mm. dried and handy um, at the time. Um, and so you know, there's a, there's a lot of intention and thought, mm. um, and it's not rushed. And um, I I feel like bees actually experience time differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I feel like time stands still and. Um, but also the, the smell and the sound um, is also sort of nearly like a meditation. You can, t- um, we, you know, when you work with bees over time, you sort of get heightened to what the smells mean. You, you can sometimes smell it when they turn because they let out the pheromone. and you go, okay, now's time to get out. They're not happy. They're going to attack me now mm. because that's mm-hmm. a very um, distinct smell. Right, um, but also their sound, the sound, the sound, yeah. the buzzing, and they make different sounds for many different things that they do. Um, and you can, you can, I can tell in um, angry bee mm. versus you know whether it's harmonious. It's actually yeah, or a, not. a change in the, yeah. the vibration or the tone. Yeah. There's some sort of change in that yeah. buzzing. There's so many things that influence it. I look at you know the weather, the time mm-hmm. of day. Um, I always try to do it at a time where I'm going to you know disturb them sort of the least amount, and I'm not in there pulling out every frame. Yeah. Look, you know, I, I look at it as if it's a whole um, organism, like a, a hive body. Mm. So, you know, when you're opening it up, um, the outside of the organism is the skin, that's the hive. The honey is the blood, and the bees are the individual cells within the body. And together yeah. they're oh, working <laughs> as this collective consciousness. Oh, this so when you open them up, when you crack open a box, you're breaking the propolis seal, which is also a very powerful medicinal I think it's the most um, powerful mm-hmm. product that bees make um super antibacterial um they get it from the, the blood of trees you know they get it from resin and exactly. they transfer okay. this through gut um you know their, yeah, their digestive, their, their digestive mm. and they use it as a glue mm. but if something dies within the hive like a mouse or a bug or something like that they'll actually mummify it oh, in wow. propolis so no bacteria so, can yeah. get out oh, wow. interesting so, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So just, you know, when I'm um, standing behind a hive and I crack that propolis seal, I'm thinking, okay, I've, I'm just, I'm, you know, exposing them to the elements now. Also opening them up system, They're just yeah. at a very vulnerable mm-hmm. state. So it's just having that respect and that awareness to what I'm actually doing and to wanting to disturb them, disturb them the least amount as possible. So I'm just checking what I need to check, doing what I need to do, um, and, and, you know, and not taking, um, when you take blood from someone, you're just going to take a small amount at a time mm. so that the, the person can recover, that mm. the organism can recover. If you take out, you know, all their blood, you know, they could become sick Quite and, Ill, yeah. and um, you know, more prone to d- mm-hmm. disease and, o- and other things. So I think when you start to think about bees in this way as, as a whole, you're going to treat them a whole different way. And if you really look at them and you look at them throughout time and you look at a hive as if it's um, a temple or if they are sacred, if they are holy, we're going to be treating their products differently. We're going to be treating the bees differently. And so I feel like this is my, my role to spread this love, this awareness, tra- change the way that we um, look at bees because I think it's um, in a sort of you know, symbiotic way that we're going to, it's going to change the way that we treat bees. This is beautiful. Yeah. It's a very feminine approach. Because- yes. There's, there's sounds like there's two aspects there. Mm. It, we're looking at what all cultures have always done. They've always mm. learnt from the natural world. Mm. They've always learnt from animals and plants, insects. 
So you are, you're looking at them and you're learning from them and how mm. they behave, which when you talk about that meditative state that you go into, that altered state of consciousness, you're probably absorbing information just on a different mm. level. It's not cerebral. Mm. It's just it, it's coming in and you're learning mm. in a very embodied way. But then also you're applying um, a way of viewing the hive as a whole, like mm. the feminine body or any mm. body, to enter that and look after it in the same way that you would want to look after your own body or a temple. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. It's really yeah, gorgeous. I really encourage women to um, become beekeepers themselves or, or, or get interested. I really would really love to work with women because I feel like women do have this natural um, connection. You want to grab Ollie? We've yeah. got a bubba here. <laughs> Emily's also a mama mama. <laughs> a bee mama and a baby mama. And she's yeah. super cute. So I don't know if you can see under the if anyone's watching oh. the video, but this is Olive. <laughs> yeah. My and you kid. might hear her if you're watching listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully there'll be a video She's too. Hello, darling. Gorgeous. <laughs> and um and even when I was pregnant, I, I wanted to have a hive close to me. Just energetically. I feel like even having bees in my presence um changes my dreams. I feel like it changes um the area around me. It just just as a personal sort of thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I powerful and for me I see them as protection well they've always been a symbol of healing and part of that I guess is their amazing medicinal properties but also their role in the ecosystem and their role in pollination and why that's so important we rely on them and so we almost have a duty out of respect yeah. for we're so reliant on yeah. bees and I think that is gaining more momentum mm. people are talking about it and mm. realizing but there's probably still a lot of people that don't realize just how yeah. reliant we are yeah, on bees. Like even the word, you know, beekeeper, we're, we're mm. implying that we're looking after them when actually um, they're, they're looking they're, they're after looking us. us. <laughs> they're, they're keeping us. A third mm. of the food we eat is pollinated by bees. Mm. Um, and so there is actually, um, a, you know, a um, quite high possibility that the commercial industry um, will collapse um, because it's mainly due to pollination. Mm. Actually, um, the almond pollination in the States is um, terrible. They truck bees from all over the country, um, pour high glucose corn syrup into the hives, mm. get them all you know, high on the sugar, and then they go out um, pollinating all the almonds, but they're also spreading disease. And then they get sent um, back out, and you know, this spreads disease and other areas. A lot of the hives they even just kill. Um, but it's not just almond pollinate. Some you know, beekeepers, they'll take them from pollination to pollination to pollination. They just get moved around on this one source of food. When you think as humans, we need mm. a variety mm -hmm. to, to so be healthy. they become a monoculture. Yes. Um, and no in Australia, we have the second biggest monoculture in the world of almonds. Wow. And we don't have the water for it. Mm. In California, the, the earth is actually sinking mm. by like drastically every year because of how much, how much further they have to drill to pump water out to oh my goodness because of almonds no more almond milk <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i think um unless you're growing your own almond yeah, or you have a local or, um, a local small scale source yeah of almonds um, so it's quite um and you know a lot of vegans will not um have honey um which is you know totally fine that's a personal thing but then you know not be aware that their almond milk is actually harming bees yes. more than yes. honey yes to look at the whole ecosystem um, yeah it's a very important topic, I think, when yeah. we're looking at food and sustainability is to look at 
not only um, the direct interaction with how that food got there, but the overall placement in the ecosystem. Mm. Um, soy is another example of uh, that. Oh, yeah, and that's, yeah, just because I've been making a lot of um, beeswax candles and things lately, and so I've been looking into soy, and there's only four producers of soy. They all come out of the States. It's all GMO. Yeah. It's all GMO wax. Um, yeah. So, and they, they label it, um, you know, ethical and sustainable. And so people who are buying these candles are thinking that, mm. um, you know, buying ethical products, but it's just marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you really have to look a bit deeper. Yeah, so it's, it can be quite confusing. It's quite hard not to contradict yourself just living mm. in, on this earth, being part of the world, because, you know, it's, it's like, what, what can I consume? What can I eat? Because yeah. You don't want to get too caught up in it. But also I think it's just about acquiring knowledge slowly. So yeah. making small and slow changes and then as you learn more, like adjusting and, mm. and changing as you have more knowledge and power. Yeah. So on your, um, on your Symbiosis Facebook page, I saw a post that you did that I found really interesting because I've looked into the pineal gland a little bit through yoga, personal yoga studies. Um, and you said something about when you get a bee sting, uh, it activates the pineal gland, mm. which is interesting because we sort of live in a time where a lot of our um, inputs around us, whether that be the flora in the water mm. or lots of um, electromagnetic um, currents and TV, can actually suppress our pineal gland mm. a little bit. Mm. And there is um, some written history about how fluoride was used, I think it was World War One or Two. Um, as a, a suppressant because it does mm. suppress the pineal gland and the yeah. pineal gland is believed to be an yeah. area of inspiration and creativity. Yeah. And um, well, so, yeah, I'd love to hear more about how the bees can... Um, oh, darling, I know. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to put her in the boobie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got booby monsters too. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's, it's really fascinating because, um, you know, a lot of people, um, when they've you know, after people have passed away and they've opened them up and they've looked at this um, spot, it's in the center of your brain, mm, um, the majority gland. of people, it's totally calcified. Mm. And, um, yeah, people believe it's through a lot of things like fluoride and um, just toxins in our everyday environment that we um, cannot trust or follow in our intuition um, because this is sort of, uh, it's you know, um, what sort of directs us... Um, you know, to be able to trust our inner and um, as a state of consciousness. But um, it's bee venom therapy and um, it's called apitherapy, which is the use of, um, it's not just um, bee venom therapy, but it's the total um, embodiment of honey products. So it's, you've got honey, um, pollen, royal jelly, um, bee venom, it, it's the whole, everything you could possibly get out of the hive, it's mm. the propolis, it's, it's completely healing. Um, so ac um, the very first form of acupuncture was actually um, bee venom. Oh, they wow. didn't use needles, they used bees. Um, oh, and, and they placed the bee on a certain spot? Different meridians, different pressure points. Mm. Um, so I've just been fascinated and I've just looked into mm. all these different things and just sort of... Um, Yes, just sort of connected it a bit because intuitively myself, um, you know, from time to time you do get stung, um, even though I'm never intentionally yeah. trying to. It just it happens you'll step on a bee mm. or... Um, yeah, I kept a beehive for a little while and um, I can totally relate to feeling quite calm and when you're calm, they are calm and being mm. aware of the time of day and that yeah. sort of thing. But I remember once I 
I didn't realise that a bee had got inside my glove. And I'm mm-hmm. taking my glove off for a moment um, because I work better without gloves. So just to do something in particular. And then I went to put it back on and I got a bee sting. Yeah. But it wasn't your normal type of bee sting. Um, it didn't really hurt much. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. feeling quite like just a very subtle sort of cha- altered state uh-huh. of consciousness after that uh-huh. bee sting. And, um, yeah, that stayed with me. So yeah. when I read that, I found that quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so whenever I get stung by a bee, I always go up, you know, to, on Google and I look up where the pressure point is and I go, okay, that's related to my kidney. Okay, that's <laughs> – and, um, and it's very interesting. And um, particularly, you know, sometimes it actually mirrors what I'm feeling, whether it be, um, you know, on my throat or face or, you know. And I feel like sometimes the intensity of the sting is – totally different mm. and um sometimes it, i won't swell up at all and other times it, you know i'll have a really mm. um extreme reaction reaction to it mm. um so, so yeah they're using um this therapy for a whole bunch of different things in egypt um <laughs> they have a clinic <laughs> oh darling okay Mm-hmm. Um, where they're treating people for depression and a whole bunch oh, of different illnesses, like you name it, they're treating it with um, bee venom therapy. Um, wow, how interesting! Through um, multiple stings at certain places, sort of using the meridians. Um, but they're also using it in America for multiple sclerosis. Scor- wow, sclerosis, yeah. Correctly, but, um, and even celebrities are using it. They call it Botox. They're oh, using it's it. Botox. Um, in their face because um, it swells up a little bit. Yeah, it's meant to. Um, I, yeah, I don't know all the scientific oh, right. oh, information on that one, me. but um, <laughs> um she yeah, like the to? the chemical I... reaction in it is can actually be in reverse aging. Wow. Um, I know. I personally know many beekeepers who have had terrible arthritis and have started beekeeping, and that within years their arthritis goes away. How amazing. Um, yeah, so it's, I'm gonna have to look into that more. It's very potent, and mm, um, so it's also not just the honey and the propolis. Yeah, when, well, it's good um, for you. It's when actually you, venom. When you get stung, sometimes you'll notice a little trail from the the venom sac, and um, like if you're pulling out the the mm. barb that's still in you, sometimes you'll see a little white trail okay. of liquid. You can actually put that on your gums or on your tongue, oh. and you'll feel um, a heightened sense. Wow. Of, um, you, you know, it's very mild. It's having an feel, impact um, on your, yeah, neurochemistry sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're conscious of it as well, it's a whole, mm, it's a whole other mm. thing when you're And if you're quite sensitive anyway, it. like you live yeah. low shots in life. Yeah. And... Um, so it's, it's, it's very powerful. But, um, you know, since 5,000 years ago, um, the Egyptians have kept bees. And um, I actually believe they've got, it, they got a lot of their... Um, inspiration for building and things that they do from watching the bees and from the hive. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the architecture and the geometry is so strong mm. um, and so functional yeah. in the way they keep their hive cool. Mm. And they use the wax mummification yes. and even coating on the insides of the pyramids. Oh, it's all yeah. a big part of... Um, I've read about that natural building using the beeswax mm. for ceiling floors. So talking about the ancient Egyptians and their relationship, you also talked about um, there's Hindi goddesses and other mm-hmm. goddesses that are the bee goddesses, so they're based yeah. on the bees. And um, also in yogi, anyone who's mm-hmm. done certain yogi practices with sound and voice will know that, that sometimes you use a buzzing sound, which 
if I remember correctly, was also used to activate um, that third eye centre, which is in the exact position that the ancients described, the pineal gland is in the exact position that ancients described the third eye to be. And then linking that buzzing sound to awaken that is really interesting now knowing that it does activate the pineal gland. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you know about the bee goddesses? Well, it's sort of all-encompassing. Like, I, I went back and I sort of, I've looked into, um, you know, how can I relate bees to, you know, pretty much any religion. And in, in every text in um, in the Quran, in the Bible, um, there's talk of um, honey and bees as sacred, as healing creatures. Um, and... Throughout um, ancient, you go back to um, the Delphi, you go back to ancient Greek mythology, um, you know, you go back to Vedic, um, it, you know, there's all, there's so, <laughs> there's always a relation to bees in there somewhere. Um, yeah, there's this beautiful um, Indian goddess and she was able to harness the power of the bees and fight off her enemies by, you know, making a swarm go after <laughs> after, you know, the people she didn't like and she was able to, you know, sort of harness this, this power. Um, and so in Greek mythology, Zeus um, was, um, you know, fed um, honey and milk um, by eight different women that were called um, the bee priestesses. And there's a whole actual, um, it's called the Path of Pollen, there's actually a spiritual path you oh, can wow. go to in England and you go through these ancient, um, I personally haven't done it because it's, mm. quite, it's quite expensive to do, but I still feel like I'm on my own personal yeah. <laughs> Path of Pollen in some weird way. Um, but there, there's, um, yeah, practices you can do um, using bees, using honey, there's a lot of dance involved. Mm -hmm. um, and... Yeah, there's not much information you can find out about it on the mm. internet. There's just talk of this, um, it was, you know, nearly like this sect, like this cult. Interesting. Around honeybees and around yeah. sexuality mm. and around um, these women. <laughs> Interesting, yeah, because people talk about the nectar and, and yeah. honey has yeah, such a long history and a metaphor yeah. around sensuality yes. and sexuality as well. well. But it does sound like you're creating yeah. your own path to pollen. Yeah, and um, it's interesting because I talk about the path to womb wisdom uh, and different yeah. ways that you can do that, different practices and philosophies. But mm. it sounds like maybe the path to pollen will be one yeah. of those, um, <laughs> yeah, one of those possibilities. It's, it's just, I think you can do it with anything. You look at nature and you're able to find the beauty, and you can find the you know, mother is all creating. She's all throughout nature. She is, um, you know, she's she's everywhere, and it's a powerful feminine energy. Because the other bees in the hive don't physically have um, the sexual reproductive parts, people say, oh, they're, they're not sexual, but I don't see it as that way. I see it as if the whole hive is vibrating mm. with this sexual energy, mm. and they're flying out, and they're flying into the sex organs of flowers all mm. day, collecting pollen and, you know, doing their pollination and spreading love, and then they're bringing this back and turning it into honey. So... When I taste a spoon of honey, I'm not just tasting it. I'm putting the spoon in my mouth. I'm savoring the taste. And you're tasting the landscape. You're mm. eating pure love. Mm. Um, and it's medicine. How beautiful. I, I'm a food show addict. Yeah. I was watching a food show. And there was a concept um, someone was talking about called, I think it's terroir, terroir. It's a French word. And it is about, um, but also that concept goes through another culture. So this person was in China. And it is that food should reflect the flavours of the landscape. 
and to be is a very direct mm. reflection of that and yeah. speak. And I, I love what you're doing. So not only does this have a very practical, much-needed, relevant purpose in that we need um, to be looking after our bees, we need to be preserving them, keeping them healthy in order for our survival, but you're also entwining this and incorporating this into um, feminine wisdom mm -hmm. and um, evolving and revitalising yeah. feminine wisdom. So it yeah. has a very holistic picture. It's not just about making sure mm. the bees are healthy to pollinate our food so we can yeah. eat. It's also yeah. that we can gain a lot of a, a source of spiritual mm. wisdom and joy yeah. and knowledge from the bees yeah. as well. And I think women are able to connect to this on some level, even if you have a womb and you're not able to mm. conceive. Um, you know, we sort of have this power of creation within mm -hmm. us, this love, this, you know, it. Um, and we're sort of rising up and realising this at the moment. It's quite exciting. Absolutely. And um, even if you don't have a womb, you had one and yeah. you still have a womb space. You still yeah. have all the receptors for the hormones that the womb um, would have received yeah. all through your body. And it's powerful and it's creative. And I think when we sort of stand up and step into this um, power, we sort of become like a beehive. We become... Um, a super organism we've become connected and um, Nikola Tesla actually once said that the world will eventually evolve to the perfect state of the beehive and I really see this in the sense of collective consciousness. Mm. Um. I love that because I'm all about collaboration and I think that's also um, we're hopefully coming out of a paradigm where it's all been about competition and um, strive and look after yourself and very individualistic and that's part of the feminine wisdom is that we naturally are drawn to work with each other and support each other and um, kind of part of healing that sisterhood wound of competing and collaborating and working together. And the bees are the experts, they're the geniuses <laughs> at collaborating and cross-pollinating together. Um, yeah, like they don't have time for sorrow, they don't have time for loss, they just continue, you know? Oh, it's, it's really beautiful and that's sort of what um, has inspired me with my next um, page that I've sort of Oh yes, sorry. Tell um, us a little bit about what you're doing now. There's um, a few things. I also want you to talk about the women beekeepers group that uh -huh. you're part of. But the uh, Beeswax yeah. Currency is uh, one of your current projects. Yes. Would you like to tell us? And um, Ophia <laughs> has lots to say about that. Or tell them. <laughs> well, it's just sort of the reason that I, I really um, want this. And so I've started a new um, page. It's called Beeswax Currency on Instagram and Facebook. And there's a Facebook discussion group. And um, it's pretty much a platform for barter and trade, um, which is, you know, so ancient and instinctual um, that, you know, you have something. It doesn't even need to be necessarily a material item. It can be skills, knowledge, service. Yeah. It's, um, it's all about sort of sharing what you, what you can contribute to the world because I feel like the world is so abundant and that's what the bees really teach us. And um, beeswax, it was one of um, the original forms of currency. At one point in the Middle Ages, it was actually worth more, more than gold. Wow. <laughs> Um, you know, because they used it for everything, for lighting and all the churches mm. and, you know, everything sort of came around light. Um, so I think it's, you know, from that it's sort of quite a powerful thing. So um, anyway, so if you have something um, you'd like to barter or trade, you just put it up on your feed. You use the hashtag Beeswax Currency. And then through that you can find other people 
who are open to trade and um, if they're close to you, you can meet up and uh, you know also have these connections and share things. Um, but we can also use the post, you know, we can do it internationally. Absolutely. Um, Hashtag beeswax currency. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love that you talk about um, being inspired from your daughter, Ollie. So I found with um, each of my three but, uh, pregnancies and births that I get a really strong new wave of creative energy and inspiration. Mm. And it sounds like you in part mm. have too, like you were already um, collecting all of this knowledge and inspiration mm. and then along came this gorgeous little being and um, that's really inspired you to to um, implement that in different ways. Do you, can you talk a little bit more about the creative feeling yeah. you had post, post baby? Yeah, well it was, um, yeah, I, I sort of, I, well I came back from Morocco and um, with a pregnant and I sort of, during my pregnancy it was quite a stressful time because I didn't know where I wanted to live, um, what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be close to nature and I wanted to have this child and I ended up finding this woman that um, allowed me the use of her land. I set up this teepee and um, had a, a free birth sort of um, on the land there and I, you know I didn't have internet connection or anything there so I sort of went, it was my first winter in Australia in a long time and I sort of um, hibernated there with Olive and read books and you know, just sort of loved up my baby, and then I've sort of, you know, that didn't really work. I started to get mold, and so I sort of came out of this hibernation, but I had all this creative energy. Um, really excited and wanting to share this love that I, you know, can feel just flowing through me from this child, and it's and it's sort of like, what do I want the earth to be like mm. for Olive? You know, and I really feel I just intuitively I see a need for it I think there might come a time where we really need to know how to barter and trade as a survival skill and so I want to create this for the world for Olive beautiful especially yeah. if we do have a large economic crash which some say is inevitable but we'll mm. yet to see but places like Greece and other countries have experienced that and, and trade became trade and and um neighbors and swapping became a huge part of people's survival well, thank you, Emily. Is there anything? Oh, uh, I'd, yeah. like to <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit more about the um, the Women's Beekeeper Group yeah. because I, although I don't have my European honeybee mm. hive anymore, I've been yeah. looking for a native beehive, yeah. so I'm going to join when I get that. Yeah, well, the thing is you don't even need to keep bees to be a part of the group. You just have to be interested in bees or have a love for bees because there's so much, you know, interesting things that people share on the page. And I only started it, I guess, over a month or so ago, and we're already um, sort of nearly up to 500 members now on that. And it's just a beautiful group of supportive women that you can put questions out, like how do I get bees, or what's happening right now, or you know, you just put things up there, and you know, other people with more knowledge or ideas. It's just a you know a place where people can can share. And there already was a. Um, Australian women in beekeeping group. I think they have about 800 members. They've been going for quite some time, but um, the reason I started off the new group is because um, there's quite a lot of rules on that page and the people that admin the page um, are corporate and if you say anything that could possibly hurt the commercial industry, they'll just delete your stuff. So I sort of just before Christmas time I was putting up a few like controversial posts, not even about like the industry or anything, just things that I liked that, you know, things like my pineal gland post mm. and I just got like totally attacked and shut down 
And then this other amazing beekeeper um, woman, she was doing a tour around Australia and she put up a post saying, hey, I'd like to meet like other women beekeepers. They took down her post. So I messaged this woman and said, hey, let's start a, a new page. And so we've started it off and just the feedback that we've had has been um, so beautiful and, um, you know, there's no there's freedom of speech, there's no motive behind it other than wanting to share a lot of these. Um, so be, collaborate. Yes, yeah, so that's called um, Australian Women Beekeepers. Wonderful, um, and I'll put the link too. up um, yeah. with this post as well. That's yeah. fantastic. I think I have joined. I'm excited to um, actually be participating more once I have my bees. And Olive is doing her little bee dance yes. over there. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Emily. I'm really appreciative that you came in yeah. to share all your beautiful bee insights. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Shelley. And I look forward to following your journey, uh, wherever that may go. I think mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful thing that you're doing, that you're weaving in this uh, wonderful ecological practice with um, beautiful feminine wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> all right, thank Likewise. you. Thanks, Shelley. Bye, Olive. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening and if there was something here for you today, please head on over to pollinationmamas.com, sign up for latest podcast releases, go to iTunes, leave a review and pop over and say hello at Pollination Mamas on Instagram and Facebook. Importantly, if you think you know someone who may gain something from this,
please share around.